Hey, good morning or good day, uh, as we might say in Australia. It's uh, it's late in the afternoon here in uh, San Francisco, but uh, good day. As was, this is a typical Aussie greeting uh, <laughs> without the fake accent. Uh, thank you for joining us in our first of our series of podcasts. This is a little bit new and a little bit different for me. Uh, we decided to conduct these podcasts in response to a variety of our constituents uh, expressing a desire for more frequent communication regarding our progress with the development of the ketonormorphic system on a chip, as well as our efforts to commercialize both our intellectual property and our integrated circuit. Um, um, these part- podcasts are intended... Uh, to provide insights for the engineering community uh, with whom we work every day, uh, technical editors that follow and write about the burgeoning artificial intelligence market and and competitive landscape, uh, as well as the financial press and of course our current and future investors. So um, it's it's kind of a new venue for us, but we're gonna give it a a go. Uh, With this in mind, I'd also like to remind our audience that we have a large number of new editors analysts and investors, you know, thinking and covering the company. For example, our shareholder register has grown by over 20,000 investors in the past few quarters, and our social media outreach has gained a significant following. Um, Kind of incredible. These folks may not be as familiar with Brainship as many long-standing followers, Uh, so today may be a repeat uh, or kind of common knowledge for some but a necessary introduction to branch for others. And so and, uh, apologies for those that you have been with the company for a long time and welcome for those that are following the company most recently. Our social re- media outreach is primarily on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I encourage you to follow us uh, as the ASX releases, they're somewhat restrictive. Uh, you know, we can we can say certain things, uh, but occasionally it becomes a little bit bogged down in what's material, what's not material. I, I believe that uh, our constituents, whether it's editors, analysts, or shareholders, need a, need a little bit of a deeper dive. Uh, we use these platforms as well as the wire services to kind of augment our formal lodgements with the ASX, which are appropriate our financial statements, of course, Lee. Um, while we provide insights into our progress, it's also important to note that we won't cover any non-public information that has not been released as a property of the ASX. That's the nature, nature of our life. Uh, as we kick off our first podcast today, we're initiating a series that will occur monthly. Um, yeah, <laughs> you guys have taken me to test because I said it was going to be the first Tuesday of each month. Uh, but, but while we have targeted the first Tuesday of each month, U.S. P- PST, Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time, respectively, this might be plus or minus a day or two based on holidays around the world or material non-public information that might come out shortly thereafter. And I, we, we would not want this podcast to be dated by the time it, it actually comes out. So yeah, bear with us on that. The variability is, uh, is expected to be limited, but more importantly, serves the purpose, as I said, of our being able to share insights that are important 
while adhering to our disclosure obligations. Uh, before I start, well, I've already started. Before I start, I would like to talk about the general health of our company. As we all take care and have great concern for, uh, for the health of our family, friends, and colleagues, I'd like to mention that at Brainship, we've been both careful and fortunate regarding the COVID pandemic. Uh, we have had no reported instances of infection and our team has worked well, uh, very well, uh, to collaborate by working remotely or maintaining distance when required in the lab. And the lab is a different environment. You can't, you can't collaborate um, on a Zoom meeting in the lab. You actually need to be in the lab. We have a staff of, uh, we have a staff on four continents, uh, four countries, the US, Australia, France, and India. So while we work, uh, quite literally around the clock, we're very cautious about our work environment as well as engagements with vendors and potential customers. Uh, yeah, for the benefit of new constituents, uh, stakeholders, as well as those of you that have followed the company for quite some time, many, many years in, in some cases, I'd like to introduce here, uh, what do you say, here virtually, our management team. These are the folks that manage our company and pursue our mission. M literally, day to day, these are the folks that manage the process. So uh, e easy for me, many of you know me, some don't. Uh, I'm Louis Donardo, call me Lou, call me Louis. Uh, I have 40 years in the semiconductor market, semiconductor industry, starting with analog devices. At the time it was a small company. Uh, moved to linear technology, again was a small company when I arrived. Uh, first public company experience uh, at Zycor. Uh, int interesting story. You can you guys can get the backdrop if you if you'd like. But this was uh, seven folks that left in uh, Intel uh, to start a non-volatile memory company. Uh, we sold Zycor to Intersil and so on and so forth. Uh, and eventually at XR, which was recently sold to Maxilinear. I did about six years in the middle in venture capital investing. Uh, Peter Vandermeer. Our founder, one of our founders and CTO, uh, again, over 40 years uh, experience in the technology development industry. Uh, I guess at our age, we're, all, we're a little reluctant to say exactly how many years that might be. Uh, but certainly a couple of decades or more focused on neuromorphic processing. Peter lives in, he lives kind of in a different world where his, his focus is really on how how does the human brain, brain in general, uh, process information so efficiently? Uh, and he has brought to practice, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the old man car in a moment, but he's brought to practice how it is that we recognize repeating patterns, and then we take those repeating patterns, we turn them into information, and we turn them into knowledge, which I'll talk about in another a moment or so. Peter's located in Western Australia, uh, probably the safest place in the country, in the world to be right now. And he manages our, uh, our research institute in addition to his responsibilities as our uh, chief uh, technology officer. Anil Mankar, again, another founder and chief development officer. He's got 40 years plus. Uh, gosh, I have to tell you, 
Uh, I've been doing this for a long time, and Anil is probably, no, I won't even say probably, he is the best uh, development executive I have ever worked with. Uh, the idea that we have taken to, to practice what Peter visioned and what Anil had to do in practice, and it came out, uh, first time silicon working, I'm not sure I can express to those that haven't grown up in the semiconductor industry just how significant that is. He's, he's built hundreds of integrated circuits, but this, I think, is his most proud accomplishment. He spent time at Western Digital, Connexent, MindSpeed. I could, I could go down the list. Uh, no introductions to our team. Rob Telson, uh, great guy, uh, someone which I, I guess you'll, you will all get exposure to at some point, but vice president of sales and marketing. He's one of our best new executives. Uh, Rob joined us, I think it was about three months ago, after spending many years at Arm and previously at Artisan. He brings a great deal of knowledge and expertise in marketing, advanced intellectual property, and managing the sales and marketing process. When you say that fast, it's easy, but the, the reality is that marketing advanced intellectual property is a whole lot different than selling off-the-shelf IP. You can sell an interface, PCIe, USB, but selling the, the core of an intellectual property block is a very, very specialized talent and circumstance. And I, I think Rob, Rob, Rob is really up to the task and we're happy to have him on board. Uh, Ken, Ken Scarens, he's our CFO. Uh, you know, sometimes CFOs get dismissed as you know, they, they just keep the books, but Ken is part of our um, strategic thinking. He's been with us for a bit over a year, I believe. He handles, of course, all of our day-to-day financial requirements uh, and running of the company. Uh, but more importantly, and, well, in addition, of course, to the, uh, the ASIC listing requirements and financial statements. But more importantly, he's part of the management team. And as an outsider to the kind of technology bent that most of us have, he can ask some hard questions, and he's been a very, very valuable asset. I appreciate his, his being with us. Um, and, and when I talk about our board, uh, we have a very solid board of directors. Uh, we have our two Australians currently. We have three, but we have two that will persist, uh, that being Peter uh, in Western Australia. Peter's located in Perth, and of course, as I introduced, and you know, uh, one of our founders. And our newest addition, Jeff Carrick, who is in Sydney, who we've had a long relationship with. Uh, he knows the company well, he knows me well. I think he's gonna be a very, very valuable contributor. Uh, Manny Hernandez is our chair, uh, or our chairman, uh, maybe more politically correct chair. Uh, and Krista Steele recently joined us uh, on our board here in the uh, US. Steve, Steve Leviskind has announced his retirement from our board, uh, I believe effective 31 December, but he's working very well with the rest of the board to transition his, both his board responsibilities as well as com uh, committee responsibilities. I've been working with Steve since the day I joined the, the company back on September 28th. I believe of 2016, he has been an exceptional contributor 
um, we will remain friends and uh, everything that he has done for the company has been in the best interest of shareholders. So I would like to thank him personally. Uh, a little bit about the company background. Again, I'm kind of... I'm kind of revisiting things for existing shareholders or existing constituents, whether they're editors, analysts, or shareholders. But it's important because we have had such a phenomenal growth in our shareholder base uh, that we, t we touch a bit on our company background. The Brainship, since its inception, has been dedicated to the pursuit of neuromorphic processing. That's a big word many of us two years ago would never have heard about it, uh, but neuromorphic processing is Peter's vision and the foundation, uh, which is how to process data in the same manner that the human brain processes data to create information and therefore knowledge. So you go from data to information to knowledge, and with, with, that, with that knowledge, you can produce power you can make actionable decisions. Our mission to process data, create information, extract knowledge, and power humanity with beneficial intelligence is our primary mission. How do you take data, turn it into information, from information, go to knowledge, and with that knowledge, benefit humankind or humanity? That's, that is our mission. Uh, Peter's inspiration emanated from his efforts in Western Australia early in, uh, early in the 2000s. Uh, his first pat patent application uh, was in 2008. Uh, we, all, we all know the patent number, I won't repeat it here, uh, which was awarded in 2012. <laughs> uh, clearly the patent office is, is not the most timely. Uh, as well as, as, as well as that time, he moved to the U.S. and sparked the, uh, the, the brainship in, uh, endeavor. Um, you know, he, he came, to, came back to uh, Southern California, living just outside of Newport Beach in uh, Elisa Viejo. Uh, and that's when he and Anil became a team, and the U.S. entity was formed. And many of you probably know that story. Some of this is new to the story. Um, after setting the groundwork for Brainship, that small team, very small team, uh, executed a reverse takeover of a Western Australia resources company called Asiana. Uh, so somewhat of a well-worn path in, uh, in Australia with respect to how to um, you know, generate an infusion of capital as well as get a, a, a standing as a public entity. Uh, the ordinary shares were issued to the market. Uh, I think that was September, late September of 2015. Uh, and the com company was initially funded. Uh, Neil was uh, in, I'll, I'll call it Newport Beach, but Elisa Viejo, uh, as well as Peter. And a couple of employees had joined the company. Um, uh, since that time, uh, we've done a variety of capital raises, and, and, and I, I must thank uh, our loyal Australian investor base. We've done capital raises that included offerings, placements, and most recently a, a put option to a U.S.-based uh, uh, U.S.-based institutional investor, uh, which has been, uh, I think, very favorable to the company. 
we closed last quarter with a bit over 20 US dollars, 20 million in cash. And we currently have an operating cash flow, uh, out, out, outflow of approximately, I don't know, $2 million to $2 million per quarter. But of course, we have a little bit of capital expense that lays on top of that. But on, 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 a, on a run rate basis, two to two, 2.2 million uh, is kind of our, our current cash, cash outflow. Um, so look, basically, we're well funded and we have a loyal, very loyal investor base. Uh, so and with respect to how does the company march forward, um, you know, paying its bills, frankly, it's, 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 it's not an issue. Uh, we're well funded. We've got a loyal investor base. We have 20 million US dollars in cash. We burned two to 2.2 million a quarter. Uh, and we have, as I'll speak to now, uh, we've got significant and marquee potential customers in the offing. I'm going to step back just for a moment uh, and talk about a little bit more about the background of the company. In, in late 2015, uh, so those of you have, that have been with the company for a while, you, you will remember, and for those that are new, uh, we introduced a test chip called SNAP64, a spiking neural adaptive processor 64. Uh, it was demonstrated, it, it demonstrated the capability of neuromorphic processing. It was not a commercial event, but it demonstrated that with the proper or the, the, the most uh, advanced neuron model, um, that you could implement neuromorphic processing in silicon. And it, 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 this may sound strange, uh, but while Intel and IBM were taking all of their resources to try to do the same thing, Peter, and at the time, and Neil as well, uh, implemented SNAP64 and demonstrated that we could do neuromorphic processing, that is processing without um, sequential, sequential languages and a CPU or a GPU, but we could, we, could, we could do neuromorphic processing in silicon, standard logic processing, and do it very efficiently. Somewhat unlike what Intel and IBM introduced with True North or Lehigh. Uh, then in uh, late 2016, we acquired SpikeNet, a company in Toulouse, France. They were implementing a very similar theme, but they were doing it exclusively in software. And our, our, our belief at the time, and this actually predates me, it was uh, two, two weeks before I joined the company that the uh, transaction, transaction was closed, but they, they were implementing in, in software kind of the, the same approach to let's look at spikes. Let's look at events. That's only what's important. And in their case, they were processing and software on a CPU. But we found that approach to be very valuable to our better understanding of how to take a hardware implementation and leverage kind of the software mentality to uh, get us to where we are today. Uh, so uh, so we uh, subsequent to 
Subsequent to uh, acquiring SpikeNet, what was really important and we executed was to acquire the rights to a patent that the founders of SpikeNet had filed uh, through the Toulouse Technology Transfer Organization, we call them TTT, for an STDP, and I'll, I'll go a little bit into uh, kind of the technical morass here. STDP is fundamentally what we work on. It's spiking time-dependent plasticity. Uh, it is how our brains work, and it is what we've had attempted, what we've attempted to mirror in silicon. Uh, the, the, the learning rule that we acquired from TTT is called JAST. Uh, anyone can go back and look at our, uh, our prior press releases or ASX announcements. And I thought when I joined the company and we had just, we had just in, uh, gone down this path, I thought JAST was going to be you know, some very technical acronym. Eh, not so. It's actually Jerome, Amir, Simon, and Timothy. <laughs> so as advanced as, and as sophisticated uh, as this learning rule is, that's what they chose to do, is they named it after themselves. Uh, yeah, combined with Peter's foundational work, the learning rule, which has been greatly modified, uh, not, not more modified, en enhanced, modified, it forms the basis for our, our, our Akita, Akita normorphic processor. Uh, on, uh, so, uh, kind of backing up, Akita, and, and this was an, another one of, uh, of, of Peter's uh, brainchild, uh, Akita is the Greek word for spike. Uh, to some extent, that sums up our technology. Our neuromorphic processor handles data as spikes. That is, only important data is processed. Non-zero activations are ignored. Exactly the same way a baby or a teenager or even adult learns new information, we only focus on what's important and what is different. We derive information from the spikes, and when that is processed, it's commonly referred to classification. So you learn, you learn the face of a, a parent, you learn a dog, you learn a cat. That classification from the data which is converted into information is really what's most profound. Uh, that process of classification uh, with actionable information creates knowledge. And that is, that's where we are today with artificial intelligence. Uh, yeah, we, we, we can talk about it all day long, but really what is actionable? And one of the key benefits of our technology is that it is extremely low power. Uh, let's put this in context. Put this in context of the human brain with billions and billions of neurons and synapse that consume on the order of only 20, 20 watts. Compare that, it's just to put it in perspective. Compare that to a traditional GPU or CPU, uh, GPU graphics processor unit or CPU's uh, central processing unit, performing a tiny, a tiny, tiny fraction of the tasks, and it can consume 
over a hundred watts. Take a hundred watts. I mean, think think about that. Take a hundred watts, a hundred watt light bulb. Turn it on. Touch it a minute or two minutes later. You, you it, it's going to be quite uncomfortable. Take two or three of them and put them in a briefcase, which will probably catch on fire or or melt down, and put that in the trunk of your car or under your seat in order to analyze all of the information and data that's coming from the sensors in an autonomous uh, vehicle or ADAS, an assisted driver systems vehicle. It's just, it's just not possible. So moving, uh, moving the technology to the edge where we can do it at extremely low power and only transmit data back to the, the thinking element. When do I stop? When do I start? Uh, when do I turn right? When do I turn left? It's incredibly powerful. Uh, so we've, we've demonstrated Akita in a variety of networks that consume microwatts to milliwatts. Uh, so not, again, let me put that in perspective. Microwatts is a millionth of a watt. So we're not talking 100 watts or one watt. We're talking about millionths of a watt to milliwatts, which is thousands of a watt. So all this decision-making can happen at the edge at millionths of a watt to thousands of a watt in basically instantaneous terms so that only metadata has to go back to some decision-making element. So, all right, so what do we do with this ultra-low power yet high-performance neuromorphic processor? Uh, let's, let's say it. First and foremost, the artificial intelligence market is clearly fast-paced, uh, and it's got many participants. In, in many respects, and, and the thing I hearken back to from early in my career, is that it's not what to do. And everyone seems to understand that artificial intelligence is a new and big wave, virtually a tsunami, but rather which to do. As a, as a, a, a company in our formative years, we have to be very selective about which we do. We, we, can't, we can't be um, master of, of all. Uh, we have to pick which we will be the best at. And to some extent, you have to, you have to think back. Uh, the, the, the artificial intelligence market is divided, at, at, call it at a top level, into cloud and data center. You have, you have all the resources that you want, you have all the power that you want, whether it's you know, uh, green or you know, p politically acceptable, you got all the power that you want. Uh, and so power and, and size, frankly, don't, don't really dominate the decision. Then you have a whole nother uh, vector, which is the emerging edge applications, where power, performance, and area are critical, critical components for decisions that influence the outcome and success for a variety of manufacturers in the electronics market. And this, this is where... You sit at the edge, you're in a device, power 
is critical, and uh, I'll talk about this, I think, again in another moment, but power is not just what you consume, it's what you dissipate. Again, go back to the 100-watt light bulb. The 100-watt light bulb consumes a certain amount of energy, but it's very inefficient, and that inefficiency is demonstrating the heat that it generates. So imagine putting 300-watt light bulbs in a briefcase and throw it in the trunk of your car. That's essentially what autonomous vehicles are doing today. And they air cool with fans. In some cases, they water cool. But essentially, you, you are processing unnecessary and too much information in that central processing or uh, GPU uh, graphics processing unit. That's really not necessary. And that is what our opportunity and market really it really is made of. Uh, so this ultra low power, yet high tech neuromorphic, neuromorphic processor, uh, it's, it's again, it's clearly a fast paced market. Uh, what, we, what we really have is important to note, uh, I guess that this, uh, for, for some of us, this could be kind of a little bit too deep in the weeds, but I think it's important to recognize that we are focused exclusively as a company with, with our technology. We're ex exclusively focused on AI edge. Go to the edge, process and analyze the data at the edge. Don't send it back in its entirety to a central processing unit or a graphics processing unit. Uh, and so it's important to note that in that regard, uh, Akita is a complete processor. It's not, a, it's not a, an accelerator. It doesn't just do math. Akita is a complete processor. It doesn't require an external uh, CPU, um, central processing unit, or GPU to tell it what's it doing, or external memory. In, in situ, we do everything that's necessary to analyze the data and send back only that data which is actionable to you know, whatever the processing uh, unit might be. Um, th additionally, and I, I'm sorry I might stumble here, uh, additionally, Akita also provides functionality that does not currently exist. Uh, no, no, matter, no matter how much processing you, power you have, if you order this in the trunk, under the seat, you know, in an airplane, it doesn't really matter. On-chip learning, in fact, incremental learning, which is even maybe more important, allows users to learn with a trained network. We all have to go through training. You, you, know, you have to have your data set. You train. You extract features. But the ability to, to learn on-chip and learn incrementally uh, when a new classifier or a new object or some new stimulus comes around the corner is absolutely unique to Akita. There is nothing that does what Akita can do, which is in situ, sitting in a device, you know, could be in a bumper of a car, could be in a, you know, the front of a drone, could be in a robotic device, could be in some home autom uh, automation appliance. When a new object, what we call classifier, is introduced, 
we can learn without having to go back to the cloud or data center and retrain the entire network. That is revolutionary. Um, this gives systems a system designer the ability to create um, basically the equivalent of the five senses with Akita, incremental learning, on-chip learning, you can recognize the five senses. You can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can touch, you can taste. Depending on the sensor input, honestly or frankly, somewhat irrelevant to us. For us, data is data. But you, you give us inputs from a vision sensor, uh, an audio sensor, an olfactory sensor, uh, some touch sensor, which uh, a variety of MEMS devices and, and such that go with it, or taste, which is very, uh, very well uh, connected to to smell. But you, if if you if you deliver that information, that data to Akita, it will be pre-processed, turned into information, create knowledge. And from knowledge, you can take action. So uh, we're, I'm running a little long here. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I want to talk very, very quickly about the markets that we serve. And I try to take this to the top level. Each of these markets have many, many sub-segments. Uh, the AI edge markets generally include, for us, smart home, smart transportation, smart city, and smart healthcare. And as I said, each of these clearly have many, many sub-segments, but it, it really is where we bring our focus. Uh, when we look at those as kind of top-level markets, uh, the Tractica report that we have previously referenced many, many times indicates growth uh, through 2025, so it's going to call it 2019 through 2025, which assesses the A edge AI market. I actually like to call it the AI edge market, but the edge AI market at over 50 billion US dollars. If you think about that from today, it, it, their report shows about 4 billion. Frankly, I'm not sure where the 4 billion is. Uh, it, it could be home automation, you know, the Amazon Echo, uh, could be cell phones, but the growth from 4 billion to 50 billion in the next five years is substantial growth, which we believe we have an exceptional solution given ultra low power, high performance, and limited uh, area or, or real estate. Uh, so, uh, talk, talk about the markets a little bit more in, in general. This year, we, we introduced an early access program as we were coming to the point where silicon was coming out of wafer fabrication. Um, we had, you know, lots of inbound traffic. We in instituted an early access program because we do need to, in, in some extent, we need to be selective. Uh, you know, you want, you want to align yourself with those customers that are most likely to be successful. Uh, you know, it's a matter of efficiency. Uh, so you know, the early access program, we, we call them qualified customers in that they know what they're doing. 
they have either got a CNN or they got uh, they have some vision of where they want to go, uh, and they can use our Akita development environment, which is a simulation tool, to uh, provide confidence to themselves or to build confidence that this is a path they want to go down. But the Akita the uh, early access program it's not for free. Uh, we, you know, you can you can go on our website uh, through a variety of uh, vehicles, and you could download our development environment. But the early access program is a paid for environment. It's not intended to be, you know, some big profit maker. Uh, it's really intended to have customers step up and have a little skin in the game, so that when we dedicate resources. They get that technical support, they get the evaluation board, they get the device on the evaluation board, but we know that they really have uh, more, than, more than a slight interest. Uh, so through this uh, early engagement process, we've engaged with customers who, again, they pay for the tools, they pay for the evaluation board and the support. Uh, our first engagements have been in the automotive industry. Uh, call it drone or aeronautics industry, as well as home automation. Those are the first engagements, but that doesn't really cover the spectrum. But if you if you harken back to my comments about you know smart homes, smart healthcare, uh, smart transportation, and smart city, those are the likes of the the potential customers or those that have actually engaged in the early access program uh, and provided a purchase order. Um, so uh, at, at, I'm going to talk about pr uh, product development now. Uh, at this juncture, we're working on devices that have been manufactured from our multi-project wafer. Multi-project wafer, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting migration to go to product uh, full production. Uh, <coughs> a multi-project wafer is you get a slice of the pie. So it's, it's like a pizza. You know, there are eight slices, we get one, seven others participate. But it's an, it was an opportunity to expedite getting silicon in hand and to validate our design uh, at the same time control costs and, and mitigate risk. Uh, Worked exceptionally well for us. I I could not uh, give the give more highest regard for the the engineering team and Neil managing that team. That our our our, our silicon from the multi project wafer came out and worked. I mean, we're talking a very about a very complex, highly integrated device that uh, to get through first silicon. And there's always bugs here or there, and none of which were anything significant. But to have first time working silicon with this number of gates and the complexity of, uh, of Akita, I, I've been doing this for 40, you know, 40 plus years. I don't even want to talk about it, but I've, I've never seen anything as efficient and as effective. And I think Anil, and his entire team really deserve great accolades. Uh, let me move on a little bit. So, all right, so where are we? We started with a multi-project wafer. We got our units. 
Uh, we've been able to deliver evaluation boards uh, to significant uh, potential customers that have signed up for the EAP. Uh, but we have transferred to Socionext our logic design. We call it RTL, Registered Transfer Logic, but we have transferred to Socionext, uh, which is our partner, manufacturing partner, uh, formerly Fujitsu, Microelectronics, and Panasonic. Uh, we have transferred the final design files. Uh, they will do place and route, basically build the blueprint. Uh, and from the blueprint, they will then transfer to TSMC the final files, which all of us old guys call tape out. <laughs> there's no, there's no, no tape involved at this point. They're, they're, they're file drops. Uh, and then TSMC will make the masks and they'll do wait for fabrication. Uh, it's a 28 nanometer logic process, a standard logic process. It's a well-worn path. Uh, and, and look, and TSMC is a leading, probably the leader, I, I, I don't know if I should say that, but a leading high quality foundry partner. Maybe the best in the world as an independent. Uh, you know, you have, you know, IBM does, you know, when they have excess capacity, they'll do some wafer fabrication or Intel might do the same thing. But as an independent foundry, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, I'll date myself, but I think going back 30 years, uh, they had become the the preeminent and, and dominant player in foundry services. Well, 28, 28 nanometer, <laughs> 15 years ago, I would have said that's crazy, but 28 nanometer right now is a, uh, it's a well-worn path. It's a standard logic process. Um, so as, as we move through this workflow, we will continue to update the market. And I mean, all of our constituents, that's editors, analysts, shareholders, and others about major milestones and attempt to do so. But I have to say without providing potential competitors with too much information, part of our challenge is keeping our constituents, again, editors, analysts, shareholders, completely up to date without uh, providing too much information to our competitors. And they, you know, if, if, uh, if any of you could go back, and I, again, this was probably 20 years ago, if you could go back and read uh, a book or at least the preface to a book by Andy Grove, who was the CEO of Intel. Uh, and I think the book, I have it on my nightstand, I believe the title of the book is Only the Paranoid Survive. And his point, and it's somewhere later in the book, and I, I will, you know, for, for purposes of, uh, of courtesy here or, or professionalism, I'll, I'll drop a, a little bit of the profanity. But his, his quote was, paranoia is just good thinking when people are out to screw you. And I, and I, I mean that in, in the context of, I would, I would absolutely love to tell everybody everything that we do, all of the customers, all of those you know, dozens and dozens uh, of companies that are under NDA, uh, those that have signed up for the early access program and what they do. But that's just, Honestly, it's just not good thinking as you manage a business. Do you really want to 
lead your competitors to water. Uh, so with that paranoia in mind, it's important, of course, that we communicate our progress and our success to shareholders, editors, analysts, without leading our competitors to water. They're watching everything we do, everything we say, because we have the best solution, in my view, we have the best solution for artificial intelligence at the edge with incremental learning and a bunch of features that the rest of our purported competitors, they can only dream of. Uh, all right, I'll talk, talk a little bit, again, I'm running on a little bit longer than I expected, but I'll talk a little bit about commercialization. Uh, it, this is a process. Uh, it, it's it's not like uh, it's not unlike an engineering process. You know, we start with leads. We harvest them from a, vi- a wide variety of sources. You know, we go to conferences. We have our website, which I think is is much improved. But we're very selective in evaluating those leads. Uh, and you can you can spin your wheels uh, with really what seem to be good ideas, but that they really have the commercial reach, that they have the financial fortitude uh, to kind of deliver on the promise. So we're a bit selective in evaluating our leads and and therefore what ends up uh, in our early access program. Uh, so the prospect for the potential customer success helps us set our priorities. And I think that's really important to recognize. We, we can't be all things to all people, uh, but we have to be very selective, even within those boundary conditions that we establish, we have to be selective about who are the most likely um, successes within that marketplace. Um, then we t- then we take, a, we take a lead, we turn it into a, a qualified opportunity. It takes a great deal of intense technical and sales support. Uh, look, certainly, COVID has weighed in on this challenge a bit. Uh, all of us would like to be face-to-face, sitting at a whiteboard, you know, whether it's you know, a technical meeting or even a, 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 a kind of a business meeting. We'd like to be standing at a whiteboard talking face-to-face. But I, I think uh, everyone's come accustomed, become accustomed to using Zoom, Teams, WebEx, whatever the venue is of choice. Uh, <laughs> I, do, I do have a... Uh, uh, a funny uh, or ironic uh, saying that I use every time I get on a Zoom meeting, which is hang up before you stand up, uh, which has become a common theme as many people are taking meetings all times of the day. I, look, I, I can start at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and there are a lot of people that I'm sure they got their they have their their shirt on, uh, but they might be in their pajamas. So hang up before you stand up has become a common theme. Uh, but look, it, this is not optimal um, for a revolutionary technology in an emerging market. But I do think that what we have is so compelling, and everybody's again become accustomed to this new way of meeting that I think we're doing quite well. Uh, so uh, again, after qualifying a potential customer, and and, and I, I, I mean truly qualifying, it's not like is it a business? You know, they have an address. This is truly qualifying. Do they have the technical competency, or at least the intellectual curiosity, uh, to engage? 
Uh, our next step is full engagement. And we're building our team, uh, our target markets uh, and customers, they, they vary very widely of their understanding of AI. And some have implemented traditional neural, net, neural networks with convolution as kind of the dominant approach. Many uh, have found, particularly in edge applications, that the power, performance, and area required by those traditional approaches just doesn't work. Uh, and they've come to us or we've approached them uh, because Akiva really solves this conundrum with the added benefit of incremental learning. So you get, you get ultra low power, you get performance that's on par, uh, area that is not, um, that doesn't impugn the integrity of the design, uh, and you get incremental learning. Uh, so you know, what we're finding is a, a very a, a, a very receptive audience. Uh, all right. So what do you do once you once you've got a uh, you know a qualified potential customer? Uh, we we look to them to tell us or work with us to define their network. What network do they? as a potential customer, what network do they think is most appropriate to solve their challenge? And I have to tell you, sometimes our, our, our team looks at it and says, no, that's not the right network. There's other ways to do it. Sometimes we say, yeah, that's, that's a great network and here's how we can improve on it, upon it. And we port it uh, to the, the Akita device, or in some cases, we do it through the Akita development environment because it might be intellectual property, which is going to eventually be included in some system on chip or you know, highly integrated device uh, that the customer, the potential customer might use. Again, we don't control their success. At this point, we are, we are calling through the data, the information that we have, which markets we believe Akita, you know, our intellectual property or device are most appropriate for, uh, and which potential customers are most likely to win. So we chase, uh, and I know this, this term might be a little foreign to some of our investors, we chase design wins. We, we, we call through prospects, we qualify, and then we go to that engagement point where we put a lot of resources to win a design. We don't control the success of our customers, but we do enable our customers to be successful. And I think that is most important to recognize. Uh, all right, let me finish up here because I think I'm running on a little long. So uh, look, at, at the... At the at the end of the day, our mission is to proliferate the Akita solution. And I, I, I could call it technology, I could call it device, but it is a solution. It could be intellectual property, it could be a device. You know, some will just look at our software and see the incredible value in smart home, and that has a variety of subsegments. Smart transportation, again, a variety of subsegments, and I'll, I'll touch on this for a moment because I think when, when we talk about smart transportation, everybody, me included, we kind of veer towards what's going on in autonomous vehicles, uh, what's going on in uh, driver-assisted vehicles. 
Peter, to his credit, while he's inventing, uh, is also very well grounded in the commercial success of our company. And you know, smart transportation includes things like preventive maintenance. Uh, take a, take a, a situation we're dealing with in, uh, in Western Australia for uh, analysis of vibration in the bearings in a, in a railroad car. That preventive maintenance uh, or the ability to avoid some catastrophic event fits in this smart transportation arena. So let's let's not get too well attractive. Let's not get too hung up on uh, autonomous vehicles and, and ADES. There's a whole lot in whether it's aeronautics, railroads. Uh, other forms of transportation that are very important. Smart city, I think everybody recognizes is surveillance in particular, because that, that's kind of what we all uh, what we all think about. But when you think about smart city, you need to think we. I'm sorry, we should think about smart energy. How do you distribute energy efficiently? And you know. Uh, one one short one short story uh, when I was last in China before the COVID outbreak, there's a there's a very large project uh, because the the Chinese government does not want people burning coal uh, in their homes, uh, and they're trying to incentivize the movement to smarter electrical services uh, and their their ability or their desire to look at the, the data, and, and I don't think it's terribly intrusive, but to look at the data of what's coming out of a home, are there, is that, is that home using an electric heater? Is it using an electric this or that? That, that ability to um, analyze uh, or, or provide the analytics as to what is the, What's the demand coming from an individual, an individual location uh, with regard to energy consumption is, it, it's paramount to uh, managing the grid and distributing uh, electrical services appropriately or efficiently. Uh, then we talk about smart healthcare, which is really a, kind of a new, even a new application for us, uh, but our, our ability to discern Repeating patterns, um, and it doesn't really matter. A repeating pattern is a repeating pattern. Is it looking at an infectious disease? Is it early stage diagnosis of cancers, Parkinson's disease? Uh, we, we are working on a partnership, which we uh, would like to talk about sometime in the very near future on something that could lead to very quick diagnosis of uh, COVID-19, could be any infectious disease, could be H1N1, could be COVID-19, could be a, a variety of things. Uh, but the ability to have a sensor uh, with Akita as the analytic uh, processor, I think is, is very, very near term. Uh, so look, of course, uh, when successful, and I, I don't say if, but I say when successful, all of our shareholders will benefit through these gains in the value of our company, uh, providing so solutions for 
the the improvement or the the, the furthering of of uh, humankind, mankind, uh, medical, uh, you know, home and smart automation, uh, you know, a, a variety a variety of venues that without uh, a device or an intellectual property block uh, like Akita will be far, far more in the future. So I, uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, attending my first podcast. <laughs> this is, it's kind of new and different for me. So if I stumbled here and there, I, I apologize. Uh, we do intend to do these podcasts on a monthly basis. Uh, our next podcast will be Sometime in early January, we have targeted, as I said, the you know the first Tuesday, and North America time for all of those of you in Australia, uh, we've we've targeted the first Tuesday, but that could be that could be plus or minus a day here or there, uh, depending on holidays uh, and uh, work schedules around the world. In February, uh, Peter will join. Um, I, I can't say. It'd be ridiculous for me to say that I'm going to interview Peter. <laughs> uh, he is our founder and the brain in BrainChip, uh, but he will join and help provide his insights on the future of the AI landscape, as well as his thoughts on our next products. Uh, in March, uh, we'll, we'll invite uh, probably one... But at this point, we're getting a little overwhelmed. Could be, could be two, maybe even three industry or technology analysts to provide their insights on what's going on in the artificial intelligence market generally, or um, maybe more uh, appropriately, artificial intelligence technology. And then uh, in April, which was a bit over the horizon, I, I think we'll revisit and. Uh, to, to kind of, it's kind of an update. At that, at that point, uh, you know, we silicon from the production mask set will, you know, will likely be in hand, uh, and there'll be a whole, a whole, a whole bunch to talk about. So again, uh, quite more informal than I'm typically used to. Uh, I stumbled and I stammered here and there, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to our. Uh, what now is a 59-minute <laughs> podcast. Mm-hmm.